Well, welcome back to the uh, Powell View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at uh, Powell View Christian Church in beautiful, beautiful Central Oregon. We've had snow most of this week, and today is a beautiful day. Um, the snow is melted, the skies are blue, and it reminds me of why I live in this area. It's pretty awesome. I want to begin today by telling a story. It was Sunday, January 6, 1850. It was a bitterly cold day in Colchester, England. It was a hard-biting blizzard that kept most people home and away from church that day. <clears throat> there was a small church there on Artillery Street in Colchester, and about a dozen people showed up. When it became apparent that even the pastor was not going to be able to come, Finally, one member of the congregation got up and spoke briefly from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 22, where it says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Everybody went home that day thinking that the day's service was kind of a loss. But what most people didn't re realize was that a 15-year-old boy had ducked into the church that day to escape the snowstorm. He heard the sermon and had given his life to Jesus. The young boy's name was Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon would go on to become a pastor and have an amazing ministry. He would write later on in life, Don't hold back because you cannot preach at St. Paul's. Be content to talk to one or two in a cottage. You may cook in small pots as well as in big ones. Little pigeons can carry great messages. Even a little dog can bark at a thief, wake up the master, and save the house. Do what you do thoroughly, pray over heartily, and leave the result to God. Today we're going to continue our Christmas series entitled Heaven and Nature Sing. Each Sunday this year in Advent, we are taking one of the well-known Christmas hymns and we're looking at the meaning behind the words. Now you may have heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. What that means is that sometimes you can hear something so often, so many times, that uh, you really don't hear what's being said anymore. So today I want to take time to break down the words of a song that you've heard so often. It's become commonplace, I'm sure, just like its namesake was commonplace. But if we can break it down and look to see what's really going on, I, I think that we'll see something extraordinary in the ordinary. It is O Little Town of Bethlehem. O Little Town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of King David. In both Matthew and Luke, we, we read about Bethlehem. The, the passage is in Luke chapter 2. I want to read that before we look at the song. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, <clears throat> when I think of Bethlehem and its connection to the birth of Jesus, I will always think of the words, humble ordinary, humility. It's interesting that God's greatest gift, his most 
extraordinary gift came to us through the ordinary. He was delivered to a small podunk town. Now, I, I ran across this jewel <clears throat> on the internet this last week. You know how you can tell that you're from a small town? You can tell that you're from a small town if the Motel 6 in your town means that there's only six beds in the motel. Or you know that you're from a small town when you call the wrong number and they say, don't worry about it, and they give you the correct number. You know you're from a small town when you don't have to use turn signals because everybody knows where you're headed anyway, no matter what time of day. You know you're from a small town when a night on the town consists of 11 minutes. And you know you're from a small town when you have to use the names of six other towns around yours to describe where yours is located. See, that was Bethlehem. You could call it a fun size town. We see the irony then of something significant like the birth of the Messiah happening in such an insignificant town. We see that in the first verse of the song that we sing every year. Let's look at that first verse. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When you study scripture, you'll see one glaring thread that winds its way through the story of God. God chooses to use small, insignificant things to accomplish great purposes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. What Paul is saying there is that God chooses to use the ordinary, right? Uh, to use the ordinary so that the extraordinary can shine through. This becomes the theme of both the Christmas hymn and the Christmas story itself. Verse 2 continues, For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Christ is born of Mary. Oh, Mary, what, what a story. What an absolute wonderful story. Just a teenage girl, far from being featured on any kind of magazine. She's not rich. She's not famous. And yet God chooses her. He chooses her for the most significant role that any woman could ever play. Any role that any woman could ever imagine in God's plan. He chooses her to be the mother of his son. Now, I love the song that Mary sings as the reality of 
this miracle sinks in. She, she has been visited by the angel. The angel has told her of God's plan for the birth of the Messiah. And then Mary goes to visit her relative, either her cousin or her aunt, Elizabeth. Elizabeth also has been found miraculously pregnant. And so now Mary finds comfort and solitude in somebody who understands. And she sings. And I love the humble attitude that we hear in this song recorded in Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant, Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Elsewhere, it says that God lifts up the humble and he opposes the proud. That's what Mary is saying. In her humility, Mary understands a bigger picture than just her plans for her life. She remembers that God had promised this overarching promise to redeem his people to be merciful to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants, to rescue them from their enemy. And she realizes now that she gets to play a very small part, though a very important part, in that plan. Not because of anything that she had done, but because of her humility, God chose her. You know, the man who wrote the lyrics to O Little Town of Bethlehem, he was an Episcopal clergyman named Phillips Brooks. He served as Bishop of Boston at one point in his life. He once wrote this amazing insight regarding humility. He said, It is while you are patiently toiling at the little tasks of life that the meaning and the shape of the great whole of life dawns on you. It was while Mary was just living her life patiently, toiling at her little tasks, that all of a sudden she realized the part that she could play because there was a larger drama, a larger meaning and shape of the great whole of life. And it dawned on her. I wonder how often do you and I miss opportunities for God to work through us simply because, well, we are either operating in our own pride and we're not operating in humility, or we don't even think that God would ever use us because we're so insignificant. It's amazing the power that can come through those who are insignificant, the great things that can happen when people allow something greater than them to come and work through them. During the last months of World War II, the British were conducting daily bombing raids over Berlin. One night, those bombers were attacked by a group of German fighter planes. During that dogfight that night, one of the bomber planes had gotten separated from the rest of, of the, uh, the, the British uh, air, air force. And so he was attacked. That, that bomber was attacked by a German fighter plane. The, the bullets that were designed to explode on contact were whizzing by the bomber until thud, 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 thud. 
Five bullets slammed into the fuselage of the bomber, right near the gas tank. So the crew, they braced for the explosion that they knew was going to happen. But that explosion never came. Yeah, fuel was pouring out from the bullet holes, but there was no explosion. So after landing safely, the mechanic came over and did some investigating and found these five bullets from the plane and handed those bullets to the pilot. The pilot opened up the shells of those bullets. They were empty, except for a tiny wad of paper with a note in each one that read, We are Polish POWs. We have been forced to make bullets. When the guards do not look, we do not fill with powder. It's not much, but it's the best we can do. Five tiny bullets, made by a few weak and lowly prisoners. But for the crew of that British bomber, those five tiny bullets with five little notes made by weak and lowly prisoners made all the difference to their lives. You probably have heard the saying that God cares more about your availability than he cares about your ability. That's true. That's true. God cares more about your willingness to be used by him than to do something on your own. God told Paul, the apostle, when Paul had asked God to take away this obstruction, a weakness that he had, uh, to take that from his life. Paul wanted to be more effective in spreading the gospel. So he asked God to take this weakness away. But God said no. Why? Well, because God's strength shows up in our weakness. God loves to show his strength through human frailty, so that ultimately it's not us who gets the glory, it's him who gets the glory. God wants to use you, but he needs you to be humble in order for him to do that. He doesn't require you to be strong or intelligent or talented. Mary was chosen because God knew her heart. He knew that she would be obedient because he knew her humility. Now let's look at the last verse. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Meekness, again, is is the key. Meekness. God's majesty shows up in humanity's meekness. See, it amazes me that God doesn't just require his people to be humble. Yes, in his majesty, God could have stayed in his lofty heavens and demanded that we, his servants, be humble while he stays our grandiose God. And yet, that's not what happened. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Through Jesus, God demonstrated humility. God came to earth silently, humbly, meekly. He came to earth as a human being, as a tiny infant, entirely dependent on somebody else to care for him. Babies can't deliver themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't care for themselves. 
It was not in power that Jesus came. It was in absolute weakness. Then as a man, Jesus would show humility as a model for his followers. He said, as I have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet as well. He told them, no servant is above his master, and taught that we should imitate his humility and servant's heart. Why? Well, I think one of the main reasons was that up until he showed up, mankind had taken it upon himself to save himself, thought that it was up to himself to save himself from the miserable state of sin. And even today, people still seek self-righteousness. Instead of trusting in what Jesus can do for them, what he did for them on the cross, they rely on their own merit, their own efforts to keep the law. But Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God didn't just demand humility from us. He showed us humility. He demonstrated humility. He modeled humility. And then he said, see what I've done for you? Now you must do this for others, for no servant is greater than his master. By learning to imitate, then, Jesus's humility, we give our whole lives and eternal destinies to him who took on flesh to show us the power of what obedience can do. Finally, there is that fourth verse, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. If Christmas reminds us of anything, it is that God has a plan. We are told that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that he can make a difference in our life. Long time ago, 1930s, there was a poem that was written. It was called One Solitary Life. I discovered this poem one time when I was reading through our hymnals back in the late 1970s in San Jose, California. It stuck with me ever since because it struck such a, a deep chord within me. Listen to the words. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves, and while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the ar armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Just one life, one solitary life, and yet the world is a different place today because of what that one solitary life was all about. 
You know, the same can be true of our experiences here in life. When Jesus is born in us, when we then are truly born again in him, then there is a great difference in us, a difference that can be seen by anyone who interacts with us. You know, your world can be different because of Christmas. Your world can be different because of Bethlehem, because God chose the ordinary to do the extraordinary. God can do that in you as well. Your world can be different as God, our Emmanuel, puts on flesh and dwells among you and is born again in your life. You know, the story is told of a college professor who visited the Fiji Islands. Now, he was agnostic at best, atheist probably. He uh, went to the elderly chief and criticized those who came before him. He says, you're a great leader, O chief, but it's a pity that you were taken in by those missionaries, those foreign missionaries that came to visit you. You know, they only want to get rich through you because nobody believes the Bible anymore. Nobody believes what they're teaching. People are tired of the story of Jesus dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. We all know better now. I'm sorry that you were foolish enough to accept their crazy fairy tale story. At that point, the old chief's eyes flashed, and he answered, Do you see that rock over there? On that rock, we used to smash the heads of our victims. If you see the furnace next to it, that's the oven that we formerly roasted the bodies of our enemies. Did you know that if it had not been for these missionaries who came with the story of Jesus, who showed us the love of Jesus, if it hadn't been for them, that, that, that love and that story that changed us from cannibals into Christians, you, sir, never would have left this place alive. So you better thank God for the gospel. Otherwise, we would have already been eating you. If it weren't for the Bible, you would have been our supper. You see, the gospel changes people. God coming down changes people. But only those who are humble enough to, to allow God's extraordinary power to work through us. When that happens, then the gospel can create in us exactly what Jesus modeled. His desire is to see humility in his people, because those are the kinds of people that he can use. May you find this year that your faith makes a difference, not because of anything that you bring to the table other than your ability, your humility, because you've allowed God to come in and make a difference. And then let that light that he shines shine through you so that others can see the way home. Well, that's the message for this week's Advent Sunday. It's good that you were with us. And I pray that uh, your Christmas this year would be a good time where God can truly shine through you as you humble yourself so that he can lift you up through his extraordinary power. I'd like to thank those who make this uh, podcast possible. Lisa Welly, uh, our executive producer, um, Steve Pittman, our technical director, I guess I can call him. And uh, thank you for your listenership. May God bless you this year as you celebrate Christmas. We'll talk to you next week.